chapter 15 as we continue our, our study, our journey through Revelation. We're going to look at Revelation 15 tonight, shortest verse, um, shortest chapter in the book of Revelation. And um, as I studied that this week and I've been spending some time in there, I found something that's really been helpful for me. I hope will be helpful for you as uh, we look through this shortest, ver- uh, shortest I'm determined to say verse, aren't I? The shortest chapter in uh, the book of Revelation. So Revelation chapter 15, we'll go through uh, the whole chapter, but this is a kind of way of jumping off part. So look at revealing Jesus as champion. Revelation is about revealing Jesus and he is the ultimate champion, the ultimate victor. And that's really what Revelation is about. And encouraging persecuted uh, believers, encouraging believers going through hard times, that it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it one day. Christ overcomes uh, in the end. So look at Revelation chapter 15. We'll just read verse 3 as sort of a jumping off place, all right? Uh, He's talking about this crowd in heaven, these particular folks. It says, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb saying, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. That really means, O King of the nations. As you notice here, they're worshiping God. Our our songs tonight have all been about worshiping God. And worship truly is an honor and a privilege that the King of kings and Lord of lords would invite us as his children to come before him and worship him. I like to think of it as his children sitting around his feet. And uh, just bragging on Jesus and telling God how wonderful he is, how great he is, how majestic he is. And as we, as we worship, uh, God tends to open our eyes to greater things, more majestic things about him, things that are true about him, that are true no matter what we're going through. And uh, if we're honest tonight, worship sometimes is harder than it is at other times. Uh, sometimes worship is difficult because you're distracted or because things going on in your life. And I know you, have, like I've been, have been in worship services before when it was a little bit hard <laughs> to worship. You were distracted by something. Uh, you felt bad. You, did, you were on medication or something like that. Uh, I've had times, I've told you some of those times when, when I was preaching and it was kind of hard because of things going on in the congregation. I read about one pastor. He said he was preaching one Sunday. A five-year-old had his iPad out on these are things that I didn't have to deal with <laughs> when I first started. But five-year-old had the iPad out playing with it and he was preaching. Somehow or another, something he said triggered Siri on the iPad and the iPad said real loud, I do not understand what you're saying. (laughs) That would be distracting probably for everybody because you really hope we will be uh, understanding what they're saying. One guy said he was preaching uh, one one time and a two-year-old got loose, not his, somebody else's two-year-old got loose from their parents during my two-year-old got loose one time from the back. Uh, Hannah Grace came out from the back one time and came and joined me on stage for a few minutes. And uh, uh, Laura was keeping the nursery that night. And there she comes out the back. But this two-year-old wasn't even his child. And she came up and gave him a hug while he was preaching. And so he picked her up, gave her a hug, and she just stayed right there on his hip the whole time, the whole rest of the sermon. And how uh, he preached it with her sitting on the hip. I think I would ask somebody, all right, it's time to pass off the... Um I wanted to pass off the two-year-old at this particular uh, point. The other one I mentioned, which is kind of amazing, this pastor said he was preaching, supposedly true story. While he was preaching, two police officers came in, pointed to one of the deacons in the church, and did this, handcuffed him, <laughs> handcuffed him in the church, let him out. And the guy that was there said the interesting thing was the pastor never quit preaching, <laughs> just preaching the whole deacon being handcuffed and everything, and his wife never moved. The deacon's wife 
Deacon's wife sat there through the whole service while her husband's handcuffed and laid out. That, that would be hard to worship through that, the rest of that service. Wondering what in the world did he do? And why isn't she curious? Does she already know, you know what's going on with her? Sometimes it's harder to worship than others. Sometimes we're in pain emotionally. We're going through hard times, difficult things like that. But what I want you to see tonight in Revelation 15 is that God is worthy to be worshiped at all times. No matter how hard your time is, no matter how difficult time you're going through, no matter what situation your life is in, that every day is a good day to worship God. There's never a bad time or out of tune time to worship God because when we worship God, we get a, a, a renewed vision of who he is, of his power, of his grace, of his love, how God can work all things together for our good. And so it refines us and it helps get our focus off of our problems and onto God. And how many of you know that when we don't worship God in our hard times, they tend to get harder, don't they? We can spiral out of control. And as one guy said, if you find yourself in a, in a hole, the first thing to do is stop digging. <laughs> and when we get in a hole spiritually, emotionally, or any other way, uh, it's tempting to get your eyes off of Christ, and that just kind of makes things a lot worse. Now, what's happening in Revelation 15, the interesting thing to me this week as I studied this passage of Scripture, is Revelation 14 that we studied last week, God is saying the worst judgments are coming. Uh, the seventh trumpet actually blew back in 1115. Uh, we haven't seen the, the, the culmination of that. It's happening in Revelation 16 when the bold judgments happen. And there are the most severe judgments that God's going to bring. Th time is running out. Uh, complete, uh, kind of the, as we saw last week, God said the full strength of his wrath is fixing to be pulled, poured out. And so you have Revelation 14. Remember there... The, ascent, the smoke of their torment rose up forever and ever. So you have this, this picture, this horrific judgment that's about to come. 16 is when the, the angels come out and actually start pouring this judgment out on the earth. And in between those two really horrific pictures is a worship service. And to me, as I study this, what it reminds us is that in the middle of the hardest time, in the middle of the most horrific times we ever face, is a good time to worship. And so I want to say three times, three things about worshiping in the hard times. Three things about worshiping God in the hard times. The first thing I want us to see is that God sees us through the hard times. God sees us through the hard times. Second thing I'm going to see us through is that God is worthy in the hard times. And the last thing I'm going to see, show you is that God will end our hard times. So first thing, God sees us through the hard times. How many of you know when we go through hard times, the best way to go through is with a song on our lips. The best way to go through the hard times is with our eyes focused on Jesus. Because when we worship God in the hard times, he can actually transform the hard times into holy times. The hard times can become infused with the presence of Almighty God if we'll trust him. Look at Revelation chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. That's the bold judgments. We've seen the, the seals and the trumpets. Uh, interesting, you know, you got three sets of judgments in Revelation. They're all, well, seven, seven seals, seven bowls, seven trumpets. It means they, they have a completion of judgment upon the earth. But here he says, uh, uh, the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God 
is complete. John said, I saw another sign. This is the third time he said he saw a sign. He did, the other signs he saw were back, in, um, were back in Revelation chapter 12 where he saw uh, the woman. There was a sign, which is a picture of Israel. There was also the sign of, of the beast there standing on the sand. So they have two signs. Now we have another sign. And for, for John, the word sign is an important word. In his gospel, John wrote the gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and also Revelation. Uh, he hardly ever uses miracle. He almost always uses the word sign for miracle because a sign points to something. And John is pointing to Jesus. Now, John the Baptist is the one who said, he must increase, but I must decrease. But it was, the, it was John that wrote that. He's the one that's in his gospel. He's always pointing, pointing, pointing to Jesus. And so this is another sign in heaven. And this sign is going to point us to Christ. It's going to point us to worship Christ. And he says that this particular sign here is a great and marvelous sign. I mean, it's a big sign. It's a mega sign. It's an important sign. And the enormity of this sign is when people reject Christ, when people reject Christ and say no to Jesus, there comes a day when there's nothing left but the experience of the inevitable and final wrath of God. We live in a day of grace, praise the Lord. We live in a day that Christ can be accepted, Christ can be received. But once that day is passed, once the person either died or Christ comes back, once that love is refused for the last time, there's nothing left but the wrath of God to be expected. And John said, this is a mega sign. It's a big, you need to pay attention to this particular sign. Now watch what happens in verse 2. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the glass, having harps of God. He said it was something like a sea of glass. It's not a sea of glass, but it's something like a sea of glass. And it's hard for us to try to imagine what John is trying to say because a sea uh, tends to have waves, you know. Sea is, sea is really, really big. A sea is really, really powerful. Glass is something that's clear. You can see through it. And so we have the idea here that it's something of, of absolute brilliance. It's something that's dazzling. It's something that's it's so beautiful, and so, so glorious. It's hard for us to, with our earthly eyes, to imagine how wonderful and beautiful this is. And yet he said it's mingled with fire. And those who had the victory over the beast, over the image of his mark, and over the number of his name, standing here. And I believe, and most of the commentators I've read and studied believe, I believe what he's saying here is that these guys have come through the fire. They've come through adversity, they've come through persecution, and now they're on the other side of that, and they're standing, and the idea is they're standing in the presence of God. God has brought them through severely hard times, and that's the message here. These dear people who've lived in this period of time that John writes about in Revelation, they're going through some of the worst persecution. He said these guys have have come through the mark of the beast. They did not give in to all the, what the Antichrist did. And so these particular people that it seems that he's talking about here have probably endured the worst persecutions that Christians will ever endure, the worst adversity that Christians will ever endure, the worst hardships that Christians will ever endure. Nothing that uh, you and I have ever seen or experienced can touch what these guys have been through. And John sees them triumphant. John sees them victorious. God enabled them to make it through. I mean, what he's saying here is, is when all is said and done, 
They'll be standing on the crystal platform around the throne of God, absolutely triumphant. You see, as John witnesses this scene, the Antichrist is still in power. The judgments are still uh, going on, and yet their faith in Christ and the power of God enables them to live through this. Now, from a worldly perspective, it, they look like losers, right? The Antichrist is in power. They refuse to get the mark of the beast. They can't buy. They can't sell. They're being hunted down. They're probably hungry. Some perhaps starved to death. Some perhaps put to death by the sword or by, you know, whatever way they'll put people to death. I mean, they look like they're losers. But from God's view, they're winners. They're victorious. Now, how many of you know if you go through a hard time for seven years and stand in the presence of God for all of eternity with every wish, heart, every, heart, every heart vacuum fulfilled that you've ever needed, ever wanted, ever desired, I mean, fulfilled more than anything else. How many of you know that person's a winner over the person who gets what they want for 30 years and then are tortured for eternity? See, this is the idea that God, they are, tri it doesn't look like they're triumphant, but they are triumphant. William Barclay said it this way, the real victory is not to live in safety, to evade trouble cautiously and prudently to preserve life. The real victory is to face the worst that evil can do and if need be, be faithful unto death. That's the real victory. We don't, a lot of times people see winners as those who have a lot of money, they're admired, they can live their best life now and all that kind of thing. Those aren't the real winners. The real winners are those who stay faithful to Christ even if it costs them their life. I love what Ray Stedman, Ray Stedman was one of Chuck Swindoll's uh, mentors. I love what Ray Stedman says about this. It's almost funny when you think about it from this direction. He says, the Antichrist thinks he's getting rid of his enemies down here, but what he's really doing is running a shuttle service to heaven. He is but an elevator boy in God's service, taking loads of saints up to glory. He does not realize that God is using him for the very purposes he's ordained. I love that idea. He's putting people to death thinking he's getting rid of them, and God's like, man, you're just an elevator boy. <laughs> he's just running a shuttle service, getting them right here, and my prayer, you're doing them the biggest favor they ever be done. They get, to, they get to escape the rest of the persecution, the rest of this form, the rest of the, heart, the, of the heartaches. That's why you've heard me say, some of you have heard me say this at funerals and other places, when a Christian is faithful to God all the way through, um, Let's just take for an example. If they're faithful to God all the way through uh, their battle with cancer, uh, I, I really don't like it when somebody says they lost their battle with cancer. They win. They're faithful unto death. They're fa I mean, how can they be a loser? If they've been faithful all the way through, ushered into the presence of God, I mean, that's a, that's a, the losers are the people who don't trust God in the midst of those kind of situations. And so y'all have heard me say a number of funerals that this person won <laughs> their battle with cancer and are now completely and ir irreversibly healed. So God, listen, we can worship in the hard times because God will see you through. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Second thing I want you to see is that God is worthy in the hard times. 
God is worthy in the hard times. As I said, the bold judgments are coming. God's wrath is about to be poured out in full measure. It's going to be absolutely horrific to think about what's happening. And yet in this chapter, in chapter 15, is pointing to the majesty of God through over the whole process. Over this whole thing, God is in control. He's not being beaten down. He's not being tricked. He's not being deceived. God's majesty rules over the whole process. Look, if you will, uh, as we look at Revelation chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. The New International Version, I love the way the New International Version reads, and, the song, and they sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will fear you? Who will not fear you, Lord? Bring glory to your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed. Hey, man, we all need a song to sing in the hard times. <laughs> right? Because God's always worthy. You need, a, uh, you, need a, you need a worship song on your lips when the hard times come. Um, it's interesting. Uh, I told Phyllis just before we started that I did not know what song she had picked out tonight. Uh, one of my go-to worship songs right now is I Worship You Almighty God, which is one of the songs that we sang. Uh, another one of my worship songs, I, my go-to songs right now is I sing praises to your name, O Lord. I mean, we need a song that we can sing to God that worships him, that, that focuses our attention upon him. We all need songs that we have memorized to sing. And it's helpful to remember that John is writing to persecuted Christians. He's writing to Christians, those seven churches that we saw in the first part of Revelation. Uh, most of them are being persecuted. All of them are being tempted to compromise, being tempted to go the way of the world instead of the way of God. This has to be an encouragement to them, to see people who've made it through even worse than they did who made it through even harder times than they hard. People who were, these guys were facing arrest and death themselves, and yet they get to see people that had it worse than them, and they're standing on the other side singing the worship songs of God. Now, it had to encourage this. I mean, the songs encourage those guys. It encourages us today. And it's interesting to me, it's interesting to me, that they sang new songs and old songs. Uh, here in heaven. In Revelation chapter 15, it says they sang the song of Moses. That's an old song. And they sang the song of the Lamb. That's a new song. I think heaven's going to be a great place for worship leaders. <laughs> because you're going to have a 15-year-old who likes the, the, the wildest Christian music out today, holding hands with the person who thinks anything written after 1950 is newfangled. <laughs> and those guys are going to be holding hands, singing the songs of Moses and the song of the Lamb together, worshiping Jesus, and the worship leader doesn't get criticized at all. Here's what one guy, I love what this one guy said. The song of Moses was sung at the Red Sea. The song of the Lamb was sung at the Crystal Sea. The song of Moses was a song of triumph over Egypt. The song of the Lamb is a song of triumph over Babylon. That would be spiritual Babylon. The song of Moses told how God brought his people out. The song of the Lamb tells us how God brings his people in. The song of Moses was the first song in Scripture, and the song of the Lamb is the last song in Scripture. And both of them, both songs, are about a blood deliverance from captivity about a blood deliverance from evil, about a blood deliverance out of, out of Egypt, which represents our old life, and the blood of the Lamb, of course, his, his, Jesus' own blood brings us out of sin and brings us into his family. Now, they sing, they sing what? Great and marvelous are your works. Now, I want you to think about this because they praise God that his works are great, 
They're marvelous, they're just, they're true, they're holy, and they're righteous. Now, the context is the destruction of the wicked. The context is the wrath of God, starting with, the, with Satan and the Antichrist and proceeding to those who follow him. And it's tempting to think, okay, okay, God, are you, are you overdoing it just a little bit? I mean, people are going to be tortured forever because they don't believe in you. People are going to be tortured forever because they commit this sin of unbelief against you. God, are you... Are you are you overdoing it just a little bit? Are you, are, are, do we really say about the wrath of God that his works are great and marvelous and just and true and holy and righteous? I'll be honest with you. If there's any place in Scripture that, that's hard for me, this is the place where you look at the wrath of God being poured out on the world. Now, when you talk about the cross and God justifying us and we're accepted, there's no condemnation in Christ, I say, yes, great and marvelous are his works. How do you say great and marvelous in this context? Well, you go back to the character of God. Uh, there's a guy I was reading a Bible commentator that I really like, or not really commentator, just a, a pastor, that, a retired pastor that I really like. And he said his wife, when she thinks about this, I mean, hell should be a struggle for, for just about anybody, right? Think about that. And she said she always goes back to Genesis 19 where the Bible says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And I was thinking about this this morning in my quiet time. And interesting in my quiet time this morning, Psalm 119.68 was one of the verses I read in my quiet time this morning that said the Lord is good and does good. You trust, when, you, when you look at the heart of God, I said Genesis 19, it's Genesis 18. When you look at the heart of God, the best place is, exp is expressed is in the cross. The cross shows us the true heart of God. And we may not understand the enormity of the sin of rejecting Christ. I, we, you know, I was reading about one lady said that her dad kind of overreacted one time. She felt like he overreacted. She was, uh, she got a C in one of her classes. Wasn't her fault. <laughs> Teacher didn't like her. <laughs> it wasn't her fault. And so she got a C and she said that um, her dad said he was dying of an exploding heart attack because she got a C. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of an overreaction perhaps. She said, he proceeded to bang on my door at 5.30 every day for a month to scream at me, to wake me up, demand to know, maybe you'd get all A's if you didn't sleep so late. 5.30 in the morning, she averaged four hours of sleep a night. Uh, she would go to the bathroom, he'd bang on the bathroom door, you might get A's if you didn't spend so much time in the bathroom. <laughs> she was an A student, one rogue C. He made a chart. Chart, handmade chart, graph paper, felt pens, highlighters, tacked it up on the wall to track her great history and progress. That's overdoing it, right? That's overdoing it. Yeah, so part of what we might feel like God is overdoing it in his wrath is that we cannot understand the enormity of what it means to refuse Jesus. We cannot imagine the enormity of what it means to sin against an eternal God. You know, and you, that's, that's, an, that's, that's an eternal consequence to sin against an eternal God. And the other thing is we think of people as being, well, they're not that bad. But we can't see them apart from the grace of God. We can't see what people are truly like in their heart 
when God's grace and God's goodness and God's favor is taken away. We can't see the God-haters that unregenerate people truly are in our day and time. God understands and God sees that much, much better uh, than, than, than we do. So the song is sung to the Lamb even in the midst of horrific times, even in the midst of times that's hard to understand. And the other thing I would say about the song here is this. There's nothing in the song about the victors. There's nothing in it that refers to them. All of self, all of self-importance is absolutely lost. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. He's the hero of the song. He's the hero of the story. It's all, the pronouns are always you and, and him. The pronouns are not about us. In other words, in heaven, we do not sing, we are the champions, <laughs> as Queen did. He <laughs> is the champion, right? All right, last one. We can worship God uh, because he sees us through the hard times. We worship God because he's with us and worthy in the hard times. And last of all, we worship God because he will one day end the hard times. He sees us through, he's worthy in the middle of it, and one day they come to an end. Your hard times won't last forever. When Merle Haggard sang, are the good times really over for good? The answer is no. Okay, now the people, the, the, the good times as Merle described them may be over for good, but the good times for the believer are not over for good. The bad times are the ones that aren't over for good for those who don't follow Jesus. They're going to come an end to the hard times. God's going to see us through that. Look, if you will, in Revelation chapter 15, verse 5. And after these things, I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, having their chests girded with golden bands. And then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God. I read where one guy said he wondered if that's where the term holy smoke came from. <laughs> the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. It talks about the tabernacle of the testimony. Tabernacle testimony reminds us, John's audience would probably think of the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the Holy of Holies. And what John is saying here is that he had an opportunity to see the very presence of God. Whatever you want to call holy of holies, the throne room of God, the inner recesses of the heart of God, whatever you want to say, these seven angels come from the very, very presence of God. I saw right into the place where God dwells. And I love the last word. When he sees the, these seven angels, seven plagues are coming out, and what's going to happen? Completed is that last. There is going to be a day of completion. That's what John's predicted. That's what we're fixing to move into is when this all is completed. But the worship here, the worship time here in the middle of this is to remind, and the angels are clothed in purity, right? They're clothed in purity, clothed in holy, white and gold. And it's a reminder that God will deliver us from evil. When we pray the Lord's prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, that prayer is going to be answered one day. That prayer will fully and finally and completely be answered one day. Don't you worship God for that today? Aren't you glad today the awful stuff of this world is going to end? Aren't you glad the disappointments and the child abuse and the war and the crime and the heartache and, and for us to struggle with sin? Aren't you glad one day you're not going to have to get up and face temptation all day long? Aren't you glad one day you're not going to have to look at the lives 
that are needlessly ruined because people turn their back on Jesus, made choices just against what God made. I've talked to a lot of people, and um, boy, you see folks that get off track with God, and you know where that's headed. You know where that's headed. Um, Youth pastors see it. Pastors see it. Church people see it all the time. Back off, not coming to church, quit having their quiet time, hanging out with the wrong crowd, going down a, a place that's just, and you know where that ends. And it's not good. Aren't you glad comes a day Well, you don't have to witness that anymore? You don't have to live with that anymore. You don't have to live with the, the sh- even though Christ has paid all, for all of our guilt, sometimes you still feel guilty. You know, sometimes you still feel condemned. Aren't you, aren't you happy for one day? All of that is over with may not mean as much to us as it did to the folks in John's day. Because for us, we're not persecuted that hard. And we don't worry about somebody breaking in and taking our lives for worshiping Jesus. We're not going through the, the judgments that Revelation, people in Revelation are going through. But boy, when you're, going, when, you're, when you're in the midst of a really, really hard time, to know that it's going to end one day can be really, really comforting. I was reading... Um, I get a, a prayer request uh, from Voice of the Martyrs uh, each week. And uh, the prayer request this week uh, was from February 2023 in Burkina Faso. Uh, jihadists burned and destroyed Pastor Lawrence Church in eastern Burkina Faso. Then, that was in February of this year. In March of this year, they abducted Pastor Lawrence when he was traveling to a regional pastor's meeting. As the kidnappers forced him into the bush, he sent one last text to his family, who hasn't heard from him since March. His um, wife and six children. Somebody, another villager saw him, uh, blindfolded and bound as the Islamic jihadists were taking him away. And since March of this year, they've not heard from him. They don't know if he's alive, dead. Voice of the martyrs are trying to minister to them, trying to take care of them, trying to, trying to meet their needs and help them through this. But don't you know that that wife and her six children will be glad when they don't have to worry about that anymore? They'll be glad out there live in a world where that kind of thing happens in, their, in the place where they live. And they don't have to worry about that happening to their other church members or to the other pastors in the area. It's going to come a day when God puts an end to all that kind of stuff. And we, worship, we can worship him tonight because there's an end coming. And it's a good end. Could you stand please with heads bowed and eyes closed? Heads bowed and eyes closed in the context of some horrific stuff. We can make a conscious choice to worship. A conscious choice to say, Lord, I don't like some of this that's going on. I really wish some of this was different. And it breaks my heart uh, to see people whose lives are being ruined. Sometimes for their own fault, sometimes it's the fault of other people. We see children's lives who are being ruined because their parents have, have just rejected Christ and living in just such awful ways. In the midst of the stuff of this life, the brokenness of this world, we can choose to worship God because great and marvelous are his ways. There are no hopeless situations. God can turn around whatever heartbreak that we have, whatever heartbreak someone else has had. They'll trust Christ, offer themselves to him. God can make something beautiful out of the struggles that we go through. Sometimes... We question and sometimes we doubt and sometimes we just have to say, Lord, I don't understand, but I'm going to worship. I don't understand, but you are worthy.